All right, um, we're going to continue then our series in the Gospel according to John. And uh, this week the title is Without Him We Can't and Without Us He Won't. Okay, the last time I shared we, we were coming to the end of John chapter 5. Jesus had healed that man who was lame and um, he healed him on the Sabbath day and that was all that the Jews were concerned about. They didn't really care about this man that was healed. What they were concerned about was that it was done on the Sabbath day. And so they confronted Jesus and Jesus said, well, I, my father works and I work. I just do what my father is leading me to do. And so that enraged them more, as you remember, because number one, they were, uh, he was calling God his father, which made him equal with God. is a claim for deity. And secondly, they were basically, Jesus is basically implying that God also broke their Sabbath day, according to their rules, of course, their traditions. And so Jesus then, in the last session we looked at, he basically said, well, I'm telling you I'm the son of God, but don't take my word for it. Because their own law says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, anybody can say I'm God. But in the mouth of two or three witnesses, bring three of, two or three uh, testimonies forward, and then that is the end of the matter. And so the three witnesses were, number one, John the Baptist, who bore testimony of him, specially sent to prepare the way for Jesus. Number two, the works that he did bore witness to him. And number three, of course, the Father bore witness to him through the word of God, through the scriptures. And so that's how that chapter ended. Now we're coming into the next chapter, chapter six, where Jesus crossed over the uh, Lake of Galilee to the other side, and uh, we're going to see another miracle that he did, which is the feeding of the 5,000. Although there were more than 5,000, there were 5,000 men. There could have been as much as 10, 15, some even say 20,000 people. There's a big crowd there that he fed. And um, it's the only miracle that is mentioned in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now, of course, we're looking at it from John's account. And you remember we've been saying that John doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs. Because in each miracle there was a message that revealed something of the glory of the Son of God. Some gave testimony to some aspect of his glory and especially as it relates to our salvation. So that's what we're looking at when we look at this um, miracle. Uh, you know, often people, when they preach on this, they talk about the boy who brought his loaves and fishes and gave them to Jesus, and Jesus multiplied them and fed the, you know, the, the, the great crowd. And if we would just give what we have to Jesus, he'll do the same. Well, that's true, but it's not about the lad, it's about the Lord. Okay, this is a miracle that reveals something of his glory. That's what we want to look at in, as we study this passage together. So let's read in John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And so this great multitude... Uh, followed him. There's two reasons why there was a great multitude. They're both given in that passage. First of all, because they saw the signs. Okay, now we need to understand, as we, I think I mentioned last time, 
They saw the works of Jesus, they saw the miracles, but they didn't really get the message. They didn't get the sign behind the message. And in fact, those signs didn't really convince many of them because they wanted him to do the work they wanted him to do. What was that? That he would be their deliverer and set them free from the Romans. That comes out later on in this passage, by the way. And yet, nevertheless, this great multitude who had seen all these miracles of Jesus went around the lake. Maybe some got in boats and crossed over as well. But this great multitude followed him. The second reason why there was a great multitude is because, as we read there, that it was the Passover. And the Passover was one of the three annual feasts where all the males within a 15-mile radius of Jerusalem were expected to go up to Jerusalem for that feast. But many more from further afield, they wanted to come to Jerusalem at Passover. So one commentator tells us that what was usually a population of 50,000, Jerusalem at that time, 50,000 people, ballooned out to about a million people with all these pilgrims coming f to the feast. So many of them would come in through the north, through Galilee, and they would get caught up with all the frenzy that was going on with these crowds that were miracle chasers, basically, following Jesus and trying to catch up and see more miracles. And so they got in on the thing and uh, a great multitude followed him. Okay, but as we see there, many drew, up, uh, the miracles drew many after him, but not to him. The big difference. People come for all the, all the supernatural works and so on, but they don't really see the glory of the Son of God and love him for who he is. And that's where these were at. And yet, having said that, um, that is a, a wonderful aspect of the grace of God because Matthew and Mark tell us that when Jesus saw this great crowd, he had compassion on them. Now remember, he knew, we've seen this many times, he knew what was in their hearts. He knew why they were following him and that, you know, they didn't deserve his compassion, but that's grace. Grace is undeserving. Amen. God doesn't wait until we deserve to be blessed. He doesn't bless us because we are good. He blesses us because he is good. He's a good God. And regardless of whether we deserve it or not, they didn't deserve his compassion, but he had compassion on them because that's who he is. Okay, so then we go on to the, the next couple of verses. It says that Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Now, why did he ask Philip? Well, Philip actually was a local. Philip was one of the three disciples that lived on that side of the lake. He came from Bethsaida, was born there, brought up there. And so, local knowledge, okay? He goes to Philip and says, where shall we find bread to feed this, this multitude? Now, um, just read here. This is a very important point. We don't need to go looking for ministry, you know? You don't need to go overseas and, uh, and, you know, to another place in order to minister. Sometimes God does send us. That's different. But ministry is usually right in front of us. Ministry opportunities are usually right in front of us. God often brings people to us that he wants us to minister to. 
Uh, you know, I remember in the early years of my ministry, people would phone me up and say, oh, look, there's somebody here who, who needs, needs the Lord, and uh, would you come and see them? I said, well, you're there. <laughs> you're there. Why do you think God brought them to you and not me? We are the body of Christ, amen? And, and that's really what, um, what that parable that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan is pointing out. Remember that man asked, who is my neighbour? You know, you shall love your neighbour as, you, uh, as yourself, Jesus said. Who is my neighbour? Then he told the parable of the Good Samaritan. This man that went from, was it Jerusalem to Jericho and was beaten up by thieves and robbers and left for dead. And the priest walked past, saw him and walked on the other side. The Levite, the same thing. But then the Samaritan, and usually there's no good relationship between the Jews and Samaritans, but he saw him. He was the one that got down and ministered to him nursed his wounds, brought him to an inn, made sure that he was cared for. It's the one that God brings in front of us. God wants us to minister. And I believe that, you know, not every day are there ministry opportunities. Sometimes we just live the life. Let, you know, be the salt of the earth. Let Jesus be seen through the way we live, the way we behave, and so on. But often there are, there are times when God brings ministry situations to us, and he does that to see how we will deal with them. In fact, there's a question he asks us, and it's the question that Jesus asked here. What are we going to do here? Here's this need. What are we going to do? He doesn't say, what are you going to do? He doesn't say, what am I going to do? He says, what are we going to do? Okay. And that's the Holy Spirit says the same. What are we going to do in this situation? I wonder how you'd answer that. Well, I'm going to tell you the answer that you can reply when the Holy Spirit says, what are we going to do in this situation? And this will be the correct answer in every situation. Are you ready for that? Yes. Of course you are. <laughs> Amen. But first of all, we're going to look at two answers that were given by two of the disciples. One is Philip, of course. Okay, Philip, where shall we buy bread that we may... Uh, that, that these may eat. Let's have a look. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. Now, where did he get that figure from? He probably went to the, the treasurer, okay, to, to, to uh, Judas. He was the one that held the money, you remember? How much have we got in the kitty? 200 denarii. Jesus is asking, you know, where, where we can buy bread. I tell you what, if they found a baker that could bake enough loaves of bread to feed that much, you'd think all these Christmases would come at once, wouldn't he? But anyway, where can, we, where can we buy bread? He was testing him, okay? Not a trick question, a test question. The difference. He wasn't trying to catch him out. It was testing where he was at in his growth, in his, in his discipleship, how he would answer that question. So Philip goes to, probably goes to uh, Judas. How much money we've got? 200 denarii, which is anywhere between six months to eight months wages for a, a working man, okay? And, and he comes back and he says, well, you know, 200 denarii is all, we could, all we've got, but that wouldn't be sufficient even to give everyone a little bit, you know, probably like we've had for communion, the piece of bread. The time you, you've tried to feed 10, 15,000 people with that amount, they would only have a little bit. They wouldn't even get anywhere near meeting the need. Okay. Next, one of his disciples, Andrew. 
Simon Peter's brother said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So Philip says, okay, well, this is all we've got. Andrew says, let's see what others have got, okay? Let's see what we can find. You know, Andrew was always the disciple bringing people to Jesus, remember? He was the one that brought Peter to Jesus. He brought the Greeks to Jesus when they said, we want to see Jesus, we want to talk to Jesus. Andrew brought them to Jesus. He had that gift of bringing people to Jesus. So he scouts around. I found this boy here, five loaves and two fishes. That's a start. What are they among so many? Maybe, maybe there's more out there, you know? So we can say, Philip says, I know we can't do it. I've done the sums. Andrew says, I don't know if we can do it. Jesus said, I know we can do it. Where did he say that? Let's just have a look. Um, he said to Philip, where should we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. That's the answer. When the Holy Spirit says, what do we do in this situation? You just say, Lord, you know. That's right, isn't it? Of course he knows. He knows. Doesn't, you don't have to say, you know. Do you remember when uh, Ezekiel was brought to the, that valley full of dry bones? And they were dry bones. There was not a piece of flesh or skin on them at all. They were, they were parched in the sun. Every bit of moisture was sucked out of them. Dry bones. And, and the question was asked, Ezekiel, can these bones live? remember what Ezekiel said? Oh, do you know? <laughs> Correct. Correct answer. You know, you would think, if, if, if he asked one of us, you'd say, no way, look at them, they're, they're as dry as can be, there's no life in them. But you know what? They did live, didn't they? And, and in fact, that, that was a prophecy regarding Israel who would be scattered to the nations of the world and, and die in the graves of those nations, but yet be resurrected and brought back to their own land. And eventually, the spirit of life breathed in them. And we've been a, a privileged generation to witness at least the first part of that miracle. Israel regathered into their own land, an absolute miracle. And uh, we're waiting for the second part of that, when, when they'll be born again. Their, their, their eyes will be open. They'll receive Christ as their saviour. They'll be born again. Probably that won't happen in, in, in our lifetime. It all depends how you understand prophecy. But I think we'll be raptured before that happens. We'll be gone. But anyway, um, what I'm saying is, can these bones live? In the natural, we say, no way. But the right answer is, Lord, you know. If he asks us that question, it's Lord, you know. Even John. Even John, when you, when you go... Uh, to the book of Revelation, which was written quite a few years after this, he was he was seen so many he was shown so many things in in vision form and and uh, he saw that great crowd, incredible number of people from every tongue and tribe and nation gathered around the throne. And the elder asked him, "Who are these? And where did they come from?" What did John say? Or well, do you know? Or <laughs> well, sir, you know. You know. Correct answer. Correct. Even Peter, who didn't say what Philip says, I know we can't, or what Andrew says, I don't know if we can. He said, I know I can. I know I will. 
when, 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 when uh, Jesus said, none of you will stand with me, I know I will, I will, but he didn't. But then after the resurrection, uh, when they were all gathered together, Jesus asked him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said, you did. Do you? What did he say? Lord, you know. <laughs> Lord, you know. You know all things, Lord, you know. That's the correct answer. Amen? Whatever situation we're in, when, when you know that there is a ministry situation in front of you, you don't know. You don't have to know what you're going to do. You just know that he knows and he's going to lead you and guide you and work in you and through. That's the excitement of ministry. We don't know what he will do, but we know that he knows. Amen? Okay, let's read on. Let's read on. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, important to see here, Jesus operated practically and supernaturally. Some people think that those things don't go together. They do, and they need to go together. You know, there's a, we need to be practical as well as spiritual. Amen? Just think about it. This big crowd, 10,000 to 20,000, whatever it was, they needed to be fed. They needed to be organised. Amen? So he told them to sit down. In fact, you read the other Gospels, they sat down in rows. Little rows together, okay? So that they would know how they were doing with feeding them. How do you eat, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you feed a, multi, feed a multitude? One row at a time. There was, there was order. God is a God of order. This world is, is, is uh, established upon order. The rise and set of sun, predictable as, every morning, every day, amen? The, the ebb and flow and tide, they're so predictable, they can even get charts and tell you the exact minute the tide will fully come in and then go out again, begin to go out. Isn't that right? It's, it's, this is a world of order. And, and God is a God of order. You know, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Bible says they came out in rows. In fact, if you look in the margin, it literally means rows of five. Ranks of five. Very order. Can you imagine two to three million people stampeding towards the Red Sea to cross over? It would have been chaos. We need the supernatural, but we need the practical. We need to have order. Amen? That's why we need different gifts like administration. You know, it's not just those that are spiritual and preaching or healing or whatever. You need organisation. Not, not to stifle the work of God, but to facilitate it. That it might function and flow. That the Spirit of God might have room to flow freely. And same, you know, when the children of Israel went into the promised land, same thing. There was order. They went in in, in rows. Uh, the, was it the ark went ahead of them about a half a mile, I think it was? And then the priests carried, you know, and, and, and there was this order, this procession. And, and they just followed through in, in order and crossed over on the other side. God is a God of order. It's a very important point. Now, he took the loaves and the fishes, blessed them and broke them. 
Every one of the Gospels say that. He blessed them and broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the multitude. The miracle is that he brought life from the dead. What do I mean by that? Um, bread is made of grains, right? Now, if you take those grains and you sow them in the ground, they'll, they'll bring forth more crops, okay? But once you take those grains and you grind them to flour and you bake the bread, they're dead. You, you know, I've never seen a, a farmer taking a bag of self-raising flour or I guess, some loaves of bread and chucking them in the ground, breaking that up. It doesn't work. Once it's dead, it's dead, right? So, so the loaves were dead in that sense. The fishes also, when they were alive, they could reproduce, but they were dead fish. Probably a couple of small sardine-like fish. That was the boys' lunch. And yet Jesus took them and he didn't multiply them, he broke them and distributed them. I thought about this and I've never heard this before, but I felt the Holy Spirit quicken to me, is this is, this is life. When you think about it, your, your body, my body is full of millions and millions of cells. You know what happens, those cells grow to a certain size and then they divide so they become half that size but you've got two cells right and then they grow again and then you they divide and that keeps on multiplying di through division divide and multiply and that's what was happening Jesus was breaking this and breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking and distributing and, and the disciples were giving it out. What incredible, he was ministering life, just like the life that's in our body, he was ministering spiritual life to those people. Uh, you know, if, if a cell just continues to grow and doesn't divide, then it's negative, it, it, it stagnates, you know, it's subject to disease and eventually it will die for various reasons which he's not necessarily going to do now. But that's what happened there. He broke, he, sorry, he blessed and broke. And the Lord was doing the miracle. Every time he broke the bread, it kept multiplying. Amen. Jesus fed the hungry multitude and he did it through his disciples. It was their work as much as it was his. His was the increase but theirs was the distribution. He deliberately chose a method that involved the disciples. Think about it. He could have blessed the bread, said, now everybody look in your pocket <laughs> or look in your little shoulder bag. See there, there's your bread and fish. He could have done that. He could have. Why not? But he chose a method that would involve them. Amen. He doesn't need us, but he almost always works through us. We are his body. When Christ was on earth, he had a body and he worked through that body. Now he's gone to heaven and we are the body of Christ. And he's working through us. Without their work, no one would have been fed. We are laborers together with God. He provided the abundant supply and they humbly received and faithfully distributed it. That's ministry. Without him, we can't. Without us, 
he won't. That's the excitement of ministry. Every one of us are members of his body that he is working through every day. That's why I say, God presents somebody to you this coming week, don't ring me up to get <laughs> you're, you're the one that God has called upon to minister in that situation. What are you going to do? You don't know, but he knows. He knows. That's all you need to know. And just let him lead you. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then these men said, sorry, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, the last few words of the last verse we looked at is they ate as much as they wanted. Here we read the first few words, they were filled. That's the abundance of God's grace. Contrast that with what Philip said. Even if we did it all we can, every one of them would just have a little. They still go away hungry. What God can do, what we can do. They ate as much as they want. Who remembers the days? <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day. Who remembers the days of the as much as you can eat buffets? Eh? You, know, you, you drive along, you see as much as you can eat, $10. You notice you don't see that now? You know why? Because <laughs> everybody ate as much as they could eat. <laughs> That's my theory anyway, I might be wrong. But you don't see them. If you know of anyone where, where, where there's one, just let me know. <laughs> we'll put them out of business. <laughs> Seriously, they ate as much as they wanted. Not as just a little bit. Go, go careful, we've got, it's got to go around, we've got to make sure that we've got enough to go. No, this is the Lord doing the work. They ate as much as they wanted and they were filled. And they had something over. They had 12 baskets of leftovers. It took me a long time to understand why they had 12 baskets. We were 12 disciples, right? I worked that out, I could work that much out. But 12, was that like a, a, you know, that's one of the perks of the job. You get to your own basket, you know, you've helped Jesus, you take your own basket with you. No, I don't think it was that. In fact, let's read on because what happened is after that miracle, as we're going to see in just a moment as we finish up, they wanted to take and make him king, right? So there was a situation that was getting out of control. And I love this. I love this about Jesus. Jesus was in total control of that great mob, that great multitude of people that had a will to take him and make him their king. He told the disciples to get in the boat and go back over to the other side. And then he sent the multitudes away, all on his own. He said, go home now. He was in control. Now you know what happened, we're going to look at it next week. He went up into the, the mountain and the storm came up. Now, the storm came up and they did all they could to try to bring the boat under control. And they, they thought that they were perishing and then Jesus came along and, and he rebuked them for their faith. Now we're going to look at that. This is where the 12 loaves come in, the 12 baskets. The sign was intended to teach us to trust him for all our needs. When Jesus walked on the water and they were afraid, it was because, the Bible says in Mark, 
They had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. That's why he told them to take a basket with them each. I thought, you know, maybe they're going to take them home to their family. They were there in the boat. Every one of them had a basket full of bread because they were straight after that that they got into the boat. So they took their baskets of bread with them. And while all this was going on, there was this testimony staring at them. Look what God has done. Look what Jesus has done. He's the same yesterday, today. He, he was in control back then. He fed that great multitude. Isn't he going to look after you now? The basket of loaves were a testimony to every, each disciple had his own reminder of what Jesus had done. So this shows us that he who met our greatest need will meet every other need. That's one of the great truths of the Christian faith. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. The kingdom of God. How do you get into the kingdom of God? You must be born again. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Amen? We've seen that in John chapter 3. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. You must be born again. Born from above. How do you do that? By believing in the finished work of Jesus. As Jesus was lifted up on the cross... So put your faith in him and you'll, you'll be forgiven. That's what that chapter went on to teach. And when, when you do that, you receive what? The righteousness of God. Righteousness is imputed to you. We, our own righteousness will not do it. Anybody that could be watching this now, trusting in their own righteousness, that will not save you. You must be born again. You must look to Jesus, have faith in him, be born again and the righteousness of Jesus will be imputed to you just as your sin was imputed to him on the cross. Now when you are born again, when you come into the family of God, when you come into the kingdom of God, all these other things are added to you. Amen? God will meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He met our greatest need. He will meet every other need. Okay, we're just coming to it, the last verse now then. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Okay, again, if I can just go back over this thing. They saw the works of Jesus, but they wanted to do, wanted him to do a work that they wanted him to do, which was to be their king, to, to throw off the yoke of Rome. And now they were at that point where, okay, they were just so, so incredibly blown away by this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 that they wanted to, okay, now is the time. It's feast time, it's, it's a Passover time. There's all these pilgrims that have come. Let's take him, make him our king and, and lead a revolt against Rome. We can do it with a leader like this. Now remember that the original Passover was at the time when they were delivered from Egypt. It was the last night they were in Egypt. The Passover feast was established. The next day they were brought out of Egypt. So in their minds, our Messiah is going to do the same. He's going to lead us out of the yoke of Rome. Also Moses, Moses foretold that a, a prophet would come like unto him, which they understood to be the Messiah. And remember that 
He fed a multitude in the wilderness. Remember that? God threw him. So they're thinking in their mind, this has got to be the one, this has got to be the time. They wanted him to be their king, but Jesus rejected their effort, sent his disciples away and sent the crowd away too. He had already dealt with that temptation from Satan. Remember in the wilderness, Satan said, "If you bow, I know where you've come, you've come to, to, to take the kingdoms of this world. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give them to you. He'd already dealt with that. There's something far more important before he could reign over the earth and that was he had to become the saviour of mankind. He had to go to the cross. We've already seen that. Okay, so finishing up, they saw the miracle but not the sign. Food was caught into existence which did not exist before. Now in, in every other miracle, in healing the sick, in raising the dead, something was mended or res, uh, restored which, were, which already existed. But here there was a creation. So for example, if he healed a lame man, well the legs were there, they were just lame and, and he just brought healing to them. Or, or if the arm was withered, he brought strength to the arm. If there was a, a blind eye, then, then he brought sight to the eye that was there. But here there was no food, but he created the food. Only one other miracle resembles that, and that's when he made the wine out of the water, turned the water into wine. All there was was water, but he created wine. So these two miracles, when you think about it, point two, the precious blood, his precious blood and his body broken for us. In other words, this is his greatest miracle because this is our greatest need. We need a saviour who will lay down his life for us and then he becomes to us the bread of life. Amen? Amen. Amen. So as we go into this week, I trust that you're encouraged and inspired to know that whatever God is going to do, we can't do it, only he can, but he won't do it without us. He'll do it through you. You don't know what he's going to do this week. You don't know what is ahead of you. He, but you know that he knows. That's all you need to know. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your precious word. It's a living word. It's your word unto our lives. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we pray that this week, Lord, you'll lead us and guide us, equip us and empower us through the Holy Spirit. And for your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.